Hi, I'm Jacqueline Freeman. And I'm Sarah Korn. You're listening to Kitchen Table Alchemy, living in full color. This is a podcast for people who see and spread the magical in everyday life. All right, welcome back. So um, I'm uh, so thrilled to be here. I had a wonderful day yesterday um, with uh, at a wor- one day workshop with Reverend Karen Russo. She's who, awesome. Yeah, she um, leads a community called the Money Keys, and I love her because she she is like me in the sense that she's a uh, she's an and person. She's yeah. like not just one or the other. She likes finding ways to you know, have spirituality and lots of money in your life. And so, um, so that was the kind of energy we had yesterday at this event. And one thing, the thing that I wanted to talk about today that I found really interesting was one of the things she talked about was shadow, which we kind of mentioned, I think on this podcast, you know, facing the shadow and, and that kind of thing, but we haven't really talked in depth about like what that is. And I always thought it was like, Oh, it's that like dark side of yourself, you know, that, that wants to kill all your enemies and, you know, like sort of eat all the donuts. Right. Exactly. The sort of, with all the boys. Yeah. 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 The, in movies is like, you know, when the person goes evil or whatever, right, right, it's like right. the evil version of that person. Um, so, but actually, um, what I learned was that shadow isn't necessarily something bad about yourself. It can be anything that is something that is true that you don't want to acknowledge for some reason or another, or something that you've had a misconception about. So really the shadow is like, it's a barrier between you and the truth. Right. And so the truth can be something that you're not facing for some reason. It can be something that you've misunderstood, but that that shadow is facing that shadow is good because once you get through it on the other side is some powerful all truth. Some, all good stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So, Cause it really is about like, I, I'm not looking at that. I'm not looking at that. Right. I'm not looking at that. Don't go right? there. It's dark and scary. Yeah, totally. And so <laughs> there can be all kinds of things that we refuse to look at for all kinds of reasons. Um, and it, it's, I, I've seen that, like, the things we refuse to look at because we're scared they're going to take over, right? I think that's a lot of the reason why we shove certain things into the shadow because we're scared. We either can't handle it or it's going to overwhelm us. Totally. And so we take this, like, extremist, fundamentalist kind of approach to it and just, like, nope, we're going to stifle it all together, Right, and we shove it down underneath. I'm not looking at it. Like we're we're not in a place of and at all. Right, we're we're not searching for the middle way. Mm-hmm. Like we have this idea that either we acknowledge it and it takes our life over. That's what we think is going to happen. Right. right, or we're just going to cut it out. Right. Yeah. So it's a if we all or don't nothing. look at it, if we ignore it, it will go right. away. Not going there. And right. so, um, but what I've what I've seen in my own life and also in my work is that um, the stuff that we shove away, like when we shove it away, it's when it really controls our life. Right. Like mm. it's almost like we're on this ship and we shove it down underneath, and so now it's closer to the rudder. Ah, and so it's sort of unconsciously right. to us it's controlling things yeah totally and the visual that reverend karen had um in this exercise was in the middle was like it's you in your comfort zone so it's like a little picture of you and there's your bubble your comfort zone right and then up in the corner 
is where you want to go, right? It's that next level of your life that you want to get to. And then in between is the shadow. And yeah. so the the thing that we were talking about was what is that thing that you need to face, that you need to acknowledge in order to break out of your comfort zone and get to where it is you want to go next. Right. And 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 talking too about how that's an uncomfortable process. But it's worth it when you get through it. No, totally. <laughs> Both because you, you see this new truth and also because then that frees you up to go to wherever it is that you want to go next yeah, and break totally. through that sort of, you know, I think we've all felt this sort of sometimes it's like there's this invisible ceiling, you know, that's that's. It's keeping us from breaking through to the next level. It's like, I keep trying, I keep trying, but I can never get past this certain point. And that can be true financially. It can be true in relationships and career, like all, all different kind of areas in your life where we just feel like there's something, some invisible thing that's holding us back. And sometimes, a lot of times the conclusion that we come to is, well, that's just not possible for me. I'm just not good enough. I can't do it. It's not realistic. You know, there's all these sort of logical explanations we come up with of why we're not breaking through. Um, so I think it's really powerful to realize that, well, if we're willing to look at that shadow and to see what's past it, that we can break through um, those invisible glass ceilings. Yeah, I was going to say the, the glass ceiling. We're talking about the glass <laughs> <Right>. ceiling, and <laughs> so it's, I mean, there, and there are things that are societal that are keeping us from there too. So right. I think it's important not to like always think that there's something that we're doing that's not getting us True. there. True, right? We we need to do our work, but also recognize, okay, no, I've done my work, mm. and there are still these forces that are pushing me back, right? Right. Um, so I think that's important to 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 recognize as well, but. Um, uh, what is it going to say? It ran away. Yeah. Oh, well, like, I don't know. Apparently I got like glass, <laughs> glass ceiling shards in my eyes, but <laughs> the reflection off that glass ceiling. Yeah. So but what is one of these things that like, if we, when we've had these experiences, we're like, Oh my God, I worked so hard not to end up in this place and I'm back here again. How the hell did this happen? Right. right? That's the place where we can see just how powerful that subconscious is because it doesn't matter all the machinations that we make in our conscious right. mind. Right. Yeah. Um, if we haven't, if we're not walking around in the bottom floors of our ship to see what's going on there. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, with the lights on and, like embracing it instead of trying to beat the hell out of it. Do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like then that's how we end up in that space where we're holding on to the, the ship steering wheel. Right. And we've been going due East, but we've, we've landed up North Northwest again. You mm-hmm. know what I'm saying? We thought we were going to East, but we've landed right. up North Northwest again. So, um, and it's because there are those things in the shadow that are actually ruddering the ship. Right. Um, so if, if we're in those spaces where we're like, oh crap, I tried this so hard, then there's, there's something that we're, we're not looking at. But, um, as, uh, you found out yesterday, like it's not always really terrible stuff. It's not, it's not scary. And I had something happen this week too, where I knew I needed to pull the veil back and I was expecting like this horde of, like gnarling, slobbering, toothy demons to come at me, you know, yeah. um, had called in backup and all this kind of stuff. <laughs> and then found myself in this like crystalline 
angelic throne room. Do you know what I mean? So, yeah. like, the exact opposite experience of yeah. what I thought was going to happen. But it's interesting. This this summer, I've been on a writing sabbatical. Um, I'm working on a book about excavating the goddess from the Abrahamic traditions. And um, it's one of the things that I have long thought, and it was nice to find some scholars that have written on the same kind of things, that so much of the message of traditional religions, I mean, I had seen many, many years ago that the traditional religions are really, they're aimed at men for a reason, right? Mm. Um, Because their traditional roles take them away from the spiritual path. Whereas women's traditional roles Mm. actually strengthen our spiritual muscles. Um. So when you're teaching, you teach to the people that need the most help. Right. You don't keep talking to the people that got it. You let them go do their work. Right. Right? So I had seen that in studying the story of Cain and Abel, like, two decades ago. Right? So that was something that helped me sort of, like, calm my anger with God about, like... You made uh, we are the portal of life on this planet. Why is every, why are you always talking to the guys? I know right. that you think that we're awesome or you wouldn't have given me the portal. Do you know what I'm right. saying? Yeah. Um and it was and I just kept getting taken back to the story of Cain and Abel and finally saw, oh, Cain's Cain's role is very traditional feminine. Right? Mm. He was the shepherd. So he's there to take care of these animals. If a pack of wolves come, he knows there's very little he can do. So, mm-hmm. like, it's this sort of, like, you do these things to take care and you hope for the best. Right. Right? So, um, so it, it, it really strengthens a lot of the spiritual muscles. Whereas, uh, that's Abel, I'm sorry, as the shepherd. Cain was the gardener. And so it's very easy to get into a bigger, better, faster, more mm-hmm. mentality in that space. Oh, if right. I just space them out a little bit more, if I give a little more water, if I water more deeply, less often, right? Like you start, right. you start fiddling with it and, right. and you, and there's control right. and you're seeking for control. And so you can lose touch with the humility and the recognition of how this is all tied together and our space within it and these kinds of things, right? It gets into this bigger, better, faster, more hold control. Um, so he had to make a much bigger sacrifice to be able to come back to that spiritual center. Right. So, um, and you don't know the story, I, don't I think. Know it either. So yeah. <laughs> these two brothers were, um, this is within the, the Judeo Christian, right? This is in the Hebrew Bible. And these were the sons of Adam and Eve, the first couple. Okay. Um, and so Cain was a gardener and Abel was a shepherd. And when it came time to make the sacrifice, um, they both had to give a sheep mm-hmm. and Cain got really angry. Cause he was, I mean, cause he was like, well, Abel takes care of the sheep. So all he has to do is like take one of his sheep. Like that's so easy for him. Not fair. How come I can't just give a harvest of my vegetables? Because that's what I do. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and, uh, God was like, nope, got to do the sheep. <laughs> right. So Cain got really angry and killed Abel. And, um, and then the earth, and this is something that's really fascinating. So this is one of the things I'm going to be working on the book. The earth cried out that, that Abel's blood had been spilled on her. Mm -hmm. And so then God went to Cain and was like, what did you do? Mm -hmm. 
Mm. Right? And Kane's like, am I my brother's keeper? I don't know where he is. Right? Like, where's <laughs> your brother? You know? Am I my brother's keeper? So when you hear oh, people so that's say... Where that term that's comes where that term from. comes okay. from. So, because um, God was like, hey, where's your brother? And he's like, am I my brother's keeper? How am I supposed to know where my brother is? Right? Like, um, so <laughs> God's like... Me. Right? Totally. So God's like, what did you do? So, um, so then Cain gets a mark put on him. He's driven out of the land. And he's supposed to, you know, wander and never become... Uh, a true tribe man, you know, feel a mm-hmm. lot, whatever. So he gets this curse put on him. So, um, but in going to that story and seeing that Abel's roles were much more in line with traditional women's roles, right? Mm-hmm. And that strengthens the spiritual muscles. So you don't have to do as much to come back to spiritual center because you spend most of your time there, mm-hmm. right? Um, but if you're in this bigger, better, faster, more, um, seeking to control things, right? Like mm-hmm. that is the mark of the ego, right? right. So, so you, you got to do a lot more to wrestle the ego's fingertips right. away from right. grabbing onto that control, you know? Right. Um, right. And that's much more of the men's traditional roles. Yeah. Right. So, so I'd seen a long time ago that the, that the, the texts are aimed towards the men because their roles take them further away from spiritual center and they need more work reminders, guidance in getting back to it. Um, Mm -hmm. but, but so if we, if we, if we take that, that, that thesis as true, right. Then this idea that, um, spiritual work is about humbling yourself, right. Um, that's very true for men that pride is this, is the biggest human sin that there is, right? But when it comes to women, it's actually quite different. And I think we've talked about this on the show before, this idea of like yin and yang ego, right? So Mm -hmm. usually when we hear the word ego, we think that it's somebody that puffs themselves up and does everything bigly, right? Like, they're so great. They're so wonderful. Everything to do is great. Donald Trump. (laughs) I can think of a few people that embody this. Yes. And so, like, that's usually what we think of when we think of ego. I mean, he really is, like... The like, poster child for that. The, char- yeah. the, cr- the Mad Libs caricature poster child of ego. and um, but, but there's also what I call yin ego, which is this very, um, uh, it's a very self-denigrating ego, right? And I think we've talked about this too. Like that, like, who do you think you are? Yes. Okay. So yeah. like, like uh, the ego, right, is always keeping us in this better than, it's like a seesaw. Like right. it always keeps us in this better than, less you're than. You're better than them or you're not good enough. Yeah, exactly. Right. And so like when you find yourself in either one of those extremes, then you're probably being led by ego. ego and you need to find your way into that center fulcrum. If we're thinking right. of a seesaw, find your way into that that, center. that you're awesome and you're and so is everyone else. Right. And, and, and you're flawed. Yeah, right. exactly. Yeah. So, um, so really getting into that space and that's the middle way, right? right? Like we're getting out of that sort of extremist idea and moving into this middle space. And so, um, and so I, I think for a lot of women, the biggest part of their shadow is really going to be how wonderful they are. Do you yeah. see what I'm saying? Right, because, right. Because if your ego is constantly been telling you, you're not good enough, you're not smart enough, you're not this, you're not that, then that means right. stepping into that. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, and, and I think that's that's really the thing that women struggle with the most is, rec- because we have this idea that if we're, 
um, if we see ourselves as awesome, right, we think mm-hmm. that humility means... Not seeing yourself as awesome, right? We, yeah, or, we think humility means, oh, you know, I'm not that special. I'm not good. Like, mm. right? We think that if we recognize how wonderful we are, that we're now moving we're being into... prideful. Exactly. Right. But, but it... But I can think that I'm amazing, and so are you. Right. Right? Like, yeah. that's the humility part of it, is that, yeah. like... And there's this, there's a, a practical practice with that that I have learned to do, which is, you know how when people give you a compliment, yes. and a lot of times people will be like, like, oh, it's nothing, you're, you know, like, oh, you have a, that's a lovely shirt, and they're like, oh, I got, I got it. it for three dollars. I know, right? Like, oh, it's not that great, right? Where people sort of like brush off yeah. the compliment, which is that kind of, oh, I can't be too good, I can't be too prideful, you know. And so, so I learned to just say thank you. You know, and accept the compliment, you know, when someone says something nice, oh, thank you, you know, and just accept it. And it doesn't mean that you're being egotistical, but like, you don't have to be like, well, yes, I am great. Thank you for noticing. (laughs) But you also don't have to be like, oh, it's nothing. You know, I'm not that wonderful. You know, you can just have this neutral sort of acceptance of, oh, you're right. I do yeah. look beautiful today. And there is, there is an Amy, <laughs> there's an Amy Schumer skit with that that is hilarious. We should remember to put it in the notes. But um, there's an Amy Schumer skit where these women are all, it's in New York on a street corner. There's, you know, they just like running into each other. Uh-huh. And they're like, oh my God, I love that. Oh, are you kidding me? I look like an orphan boy. Like, you know, like they're doing this whole thing. Like just and, the things that people yeah, come up with. And of course it's deflect. Amy Schumer. So she's like <laughs> saying this hilarious, the girls are saying this hilarious stuff to deflect the, the compliments. And then one woman comes up and they're like, oh, cute skirt. And she's like, thank you. And all of their heads explode. <laughs> it's hilarious. But it's really true. Like when you first start doing it, because I, I do that now too. Mm-hmm. But when I first start, and I'll still find myself deflecting things sometimes. Yeah. Although... Like, I do think it's really awesome when I find stuff for $3 at Goodwill. Yeah. Like, it makes it that much cooler to me. I don't know. Yeah. I, but I've never been, like, a brandy person or whatever. Right. So, um, so I will be like, ooh, cool, thanks. I got it on Dollar Day at Goodwill yeah. or whatever. But I'm, like, in my brain, I'm not really deflecting. I just think right. it's super cool. But, um... And sometimes that can be a sign, too. If you find yourself deflecting certain compliments or certain kind of things, that can be some be like, oh, there's something there for me to look at. To pay attention to. Right. Because in the beginning, just saying thank you is really, really hard. Mm, yeah, right? it feels awkward. You have to, like, I, I remember having to, like, thank you. And I like, know that you have to, like, zip your mouth right? down. Like, don't say anything else. Just stop right there. Yeah, totally. It is really, really hard in the beginning. And then it gets to a place where, like, then I really can feel the 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 little, like, hug that's yeah. in that compliment, right? Yeah. So I do. I'm like, oh, thank you. Like, yeah. you know, like, it makes me happy, right? But yeah. it, it did. It took a while to get to the space where I could accept a compliment. And and I'm sure there are lots of places in my life that I still have have trouble, right? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, paying attention to the places where we deflect. Because um, I think, too, it's... And especially when we're thinking about group work and things like this, um, I know that there have been some workplace studies and gender that have shown that when a great, a project is very successful, um, that women oftentimes are much better at, uh, giving the whole team credit, credit. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas guys will, 
be like, yeah, I'm awesome. <laughs> and not recognizing at all the, the, whole the contribution effort, yeah, that the team put else. in. Yeah. Um, but, and, and so I think finding like the sort of happy medium there, right? right? Because again, it's one of those things that women themselves forget how much work they did. Mm-hmm. So when it comes time to promotions and like being able to lay on the table what they've actually contributed, mm-hmm. we ourselves are forgetting how mm-hmm. valuable we are. And that's showing up in the negotiation table. Right. Yeah. Um, and, and again, the glass ceiling is real and that is a societal thing and mm-hmm. it's not all just us, right? Like right. we're all going to have to work to break through this thing. Um, but it is, that is one of the places where it'll, where it'll show up for women because we ourselves forget. And it, it takes a lot of work and energy and emotional work to hold a team together. Mm-hmm. Right? right. Like good managers yeah are constantly looking to make sure that you've got the right people working together to make sure that you're giving people, um, enough like feedback and direction to keep them going in the right direction. Right. Inspiring um, the team. Yeah. yeah. Keeping people on track on the same without, page. yeah. Keeping people on track without making them feel like they're micromanaged like that. There's a lot of work in that. And a mm-hmm. lot of it is emotional work if you're doing it really well. Right. Right. right? Um, yeah. And we don't give ourselves credit for that. Right. Yeah. But obviously the team has done a lot of work and you're really, you know, you're really proud of them and want to give them the kudos for that. But to also give ourselves the kudos for the work that, that it took to get the team there. Right. Um, so that you can remember those things later when you're getting on the negotiating table. Right. Yeah. But yeah. I, but I really think for, for a lot of women, what we'll find is that the shadow is, Probably a crystalline angelic realm. Yeah, yeah. And, it, and I've had, <laughs> I've had times like where I demons, where I face stuff and like something was triggered, and then I had to deal with it. But then it's like it's like a storm that blows through, right? Yeah, you, totally. you go. It's like okay, yeah, it was uncomfortable for a little while, and there was some emotional stuff there. But then once you get through it, then the storm is gone, and now it's no longer controlling the rudder, like you said. And sometimes too, it's it's like the one the shadow that I went through yesterday was a little more intellectual. I mean, it was, there was still definitely an emotional component, but I was. Um, I have this goal of wanting to move from writing for other people to doing my own writing. So I want to start a blog, my own blog, and then also um, do fiction writing as well. Finish. I'm working on a story right now, and I want to finish that and publish it and everything. And um, and as I was going through Karen's workshop yesterday, she, you know, I was talking about my my plan for my blog, and she's like, well. You know, how is that something you're going to make money from, you know, right away? And, and, and then when she called me out on that, I realized, you know what? I don't really care about making money from the blog. I just want to do it to get my message out. And, and really the fiction writing is where I, I'm both, I'm doing it for me and I'm doing it for the audience. And that's something that, you know, I do want to, you know, put more marketing and, and sell books and all that kind of thing. Right. Um, and that, but I realized that I had this conception that, um, this idea in my head that I could make money as a blogger because I'd seen all these other bloggers who've right. done it. Right. But I couldn't make money as a fiction writer. And so for me, that was the thing that I needed to, the truth that I needed to discover was like, well, sure, I can make money from 
the books. In fact, I could probably make money from writing the fiction works more quickly than doing the whole blogging process, which takes like really a minimum of two years, you know, yeah. before you see any kind of and substantial like, income. Right. And that's assuming that it's successful and takes off. <laughs> <laughs> and developing right? all the like small sort of mm-hmm. like, yeah. Yeah. Teasers that go in, and here's the free offering, and here's the low cost offering, and yeah, here's the middle yeah, offering, yeah. and here's the big shebang. Like, yeah. So there's all. And that I know that whole process. That was the thing too, is because I have been following other bloggers, I was very familiar with what that process was and what I would need to do and how long it would take and 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 that sort of thing. So it was an area where I felt more comfortable in, whereas the fiction writing felt more like. I don't know what's going to happen, right? When I publish this book, are people going to like it? Who knows? How many books am I going to sell? How much money am I going to make? What's the, you know, there's a lot more unknowns there. But I think that's also in part of because I never really took it seriously as like, oh, this is something where I can make money. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah, so there's all different ways of, different types of shadows and different types of truth that we need to come to. And, and it is nice to know they're not all bad. You know, right. it's not always no. this dark journey through, you know, <laughs> no, <totally>. scary place. <laughs> yeah. And it's interesting because, um, when I was at the, um, the Longman grottos a couple of years ago, um, this is one of the UNESCO world heritage sites and it's in, uh, Luoyang, China. And, um, there are thousands of these little Buddhist grottos, right, mm-hmm. carved into the side of the hill. Um, and it was the uh, Wu Zetian, the female emperor, that did mm. this, right? So, um, and one of the things that I noticed walking through that is that, you know, you've got this little grotto, this little kind of cave that's carved in, and the Buddha is sitting on a pedestal meditating inside this cave, um, and more often than not, there would be two sort of growling, um, demons mm-hmm. on either side. And I'm forgetting the Chinese word for them now, but these guardians, right. Mm-hmm. And they're, they're big and muscular and they've got these scary faces and the bulging eyes and the big teeth, you know, the whole deal. Um, and so the, there would be these two guardians on either side and realizing, um, you know, that there's there's a huge metaphor in that this idea and i think it's something we've definitely talked about on the show before and i'm sure everyone has experienced that like you have these moments where you're so afraid of something right um and then you get through to the other side and you're like oh well that was fine why does it make such a big deal about it you know um but i really think it does seem to be this sort of like dynamic and up leveling Right. Is that you've got the scary thing you've got to deal with before you can pass through the door. And then that peace and serenity and calm and an agency and authenticity and all those things is on the other side of that. Right. Um, so and 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 the, the demons themselves don't really do anything, as we've all experienced when we're passing. They're just there to scare us away. It's the trolls under the bridge. Right. right. Um, it's the test to see, are you really serious? Yeah. Coming over here. <laughs> exactly. Like, you know, so for those that, that don't have that, that courage to face it and go, nope, I'm doing it. Right. As soon as you, if you, as soon as you have that, they pretty much dissipate, they're gone. 
Right. But the, it's scary when you look down the road and see them there, you know. Um, but it doesn't mean that you're going to have this, like, bloody battle. <laughs> Just because they're armed doesn't mean you're going to have to have this battle to get there. The battle is is within and deciding that you're going to do it. Okay, so since we've been talking about Shadow, um, I think it's really great for us to spend the second segment talking about triggers, um, triggering other people, triggering ourselves, right? Like, So, like, um, when you say something and, like, innocently enough and they, like, lash out or overreact. And people just kind of freak like, out. Or someone yeah. says something to you and you also just, like, blah! Right? And then later, like, like, why? Why did I freak out about that so much? Like, I don't think they meant it that way. <laughs> totally. And so I think it's really important to have that moment where we question why we flipped out like that, right? Mm-hmm. I think that's really, really important. And um, not take it personally when others, when do, others it. do it. And right, this yeah. is the thing. So if we're doing our shadow work, then there is this like, wow, why? That was a really small thing that they said. Why did I have that intense of a reaction? Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and it may very well be that they they did need to get an education on something. And you did need to. I mean, like basically what it is, these triggers are like emotional releases. Right. Mm-hmm. So there is something that we have shoved down in the shadow and said, I'm not going to look at that. And then somebody walks across that ground and Poof, boom, pops right? Right. it's yeah, like a then, bomb going off. Right. It's like, yeah. a, it's like a mind, like an going emotional off. bomb. Yeah, basically. It's like a mind going off. And so, um, so that's the trigger. Right. Um, so, uh, and we're in a time right now where, Stuff is just getting triggered. Oh yeah. All over oh yeah. The place. Oh yeah. So. When there was all this stuff that was, um, when the whole Black Lives Matter movement was like um, uh, coming into being, and 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 you know, you and I were talking about how we need to have these open and honest discussions about race and privilege and all this, and I was like. Wow. Okay, that's different. Because when you know, I was brought up, and you don't talk about race. So, you, like, you just if you talk about it, it's like it's not there. Which which kind of goes into that shadow thing we were talking about. Like, let's just pretend it isn't there. Pretend right. there is no racism. That was back then. We don't have right. that anymore. I don't see race. Right. Yeah. Exactly. So, like, so yeah. then, so then you know, I went on to Facebook. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> yeah. So then I went on to Facebook, and and people were talking about you know all this stuff that was going on. And I was like, okay, normally I would not say, I'd be like, oh no, I ain't getting involved in this conversation. But I'm like, no, I'm going to be like, I'm going to, you know, start talking about this stuff and have these open, these honest conversations. conversations. Yeah. <laughs> and like, and like I posted something that I thought was very like, like, I don't know, like reasonable and compassionate and like, 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 you know, seeing both sides and like someone else like came along and totally misunderstood what I said and like attacked me. And it was just this horrible experience. I was like, okay, this is why people don't talk about race. Because Well, I think it's, yeah, because it gets triggered because there's a lot of shame as white people in that conversation that we've got to deal with. And I think too, what I experienced from that thing was that there's a lot of people feeling that they haven't been heard, right? So for yes. the people who have been discriminated they, against, like... They really haven't Right, they haven't yeah. been heard. And I'm like, okay, like, that's a legitimate thing that she needs to express and that she needs to get that out there. But, like, but like, I, you know, that's when I kind of realized I just triggered that in her, right? Like, I triggered something in her and she needed to express, you know, this thing that, that needed to come out for her, you know? And that it 
wasn't really about me. I mean, it kind of was, but not really, you know? Um, right. So it, it's a trigger to, it can also let us know, like, okay, I need to get more education done on that. Do you know what I mean? Right. Um, and as someone who has been, like, you know, was raised in the South, I have been pissing people off by talking about race for a very, very long time. And had So you're people, an old pro. <laughs> I'm, like, so tired. And so, um, and I still have a gajillion things to learn as well, right? Like, I'm no expert by any stretch of imagination. I've just been getting hit for a very long time. So, like, um, and I, I think that, because uh, I had a lot of people, like, well, yeah, maybe you were right, but you should have said it like this, or you should have waited until this time, or you should have said it this way, or you should have given me this first, or you should yeah. have, right? So I did all of those things, yeah, right, in the, like, 40 years that I've been doing this stuff, right? And still, if you are speaking a truth someone doesn't want to hear, then they're going to explode. Right. Yeah. yeah. And so that's and then just you part get of into, it. And then you get into the skill and shaming and censoring yourself where you're like, oh, if only I had said it differently, she wouldn't have reacted that way. Which is not necessarily right. true. Yeah. Yeah. So part of how, and today uh, we're, uh, as soon as we finish recording, actually, um, we're having, I'm hosting a sheet caking event. <laughs> um, and so. Jason, which explain what she, because I didn't I know, know what Jason's that was. Jason's going to pick up a sheet cake right now. <laughs> we're getting a trust leches sheet cake with an American flag on it. Um, there was a Tina, and we will also put this in the show notes. There was a Tina Fey, um, skit on Saturday Night Live, I don't know how many weeks ago. Saturday Night Live has been doing weekend updates over the summer. Mm-hmm. Um, and so she was on the weekend update, and uh, <laughs> she was raging uh, about Charlottesville, about Trump, about the white supremacists, and, and all this kind of stuff. Um, because apparently she is a UV graduate, right? So she went to school in Charlottesville. Oh. And um, so was really upset uh, by what had happened and it, it hit really personal, right? Mm-hmm. Cause it was like her town. And, um, so she was just going off on all this stuff. Right. And she's like, so you know what I'm going to do? I'm just go buy a sheet cake from like a minority owned bakery and just, you know, and eat so my feelings, eat the, right. Stuff your, eat your feelings. Right. And, um, <laughs> and so, I, I mean, I thought the piece was hilarious. <laughs> she said a lot of stuff that needed to be said. Um, really called some stuff out. But afterwards, there was all this blowback of like, oh my God, that's just the picture of privilege. It was like, well, yeah, that's kind of part of the joke, right? It's like she's a white, educated woman that can sit at home and just eat her feelings. I mean, someone was talking the other day about the Trump 10, right? So the 10 pounds everybody's put on since Trump oh. in office. So, like, oh you know, so a lot of people are eating their feelings. Yeah, a lot of people are eating oh their feelings gosh. right now. So, um, but, you know, so a lot of people were, it's like, look, okay, first first of all, it's it's a joke. She's not trying to lead a movement, right? It's on Saturday Night Live. It's on Saturday Night Live it's for the love of God. And so, yeah, totally. So I, I thought it was hilarious, but... Um, and you know, I, I have, there's been several times that we've put events out to get folks to talk about race and specifically white people to talk about race, right? right? Because like, I how think, do you have these conversations? Exactly. Because I think the only people talking to white people about being white are like white nationalists. This is a problem. <laughs> right. Because we are yeah. an ethnicity. Yeah. Right? So, and I, I know, like, my brother uses the word ethnic instead of the N word, like, because he's, he's He's a liberal by Southern standards. <laughs> and so, like, so he doesn't use the N-word. He says ethnic instead. And it's okay. like, what, what, John? Like, oh, this ethnic did this. Like, well, we're all ethnic. So what are you talking about? Like, right, that doesn't yeah. make any sense to me, right? So, <laughs> so, 
So, um, my word. And, um, but like, uh, if the only people talking to white people about being white are the KKK and white nationalists, we have a problem. Right. And, and I think that not only are we not dealing with these issues and finding ways to get grounded in our own culture, to, to investigate our own yeah. heritage. And it's hard as American because we're these because like, it's like potpourri mutts. Like, yeah. You know? Well, and that's a good thing. Cause I, I mean, I know that I always felt like, especially like in school when we would do these, you know, multicultural things, you know, and, and learning about heritage. And I was like, Oh, it sucks. I don't have any heritage. I don't have any ethnicity or race. I'm just white, you know? And it's, it's like, because it's that, that, oh, default white kind of thing. Like, and, and which is the evidence of the privilege. And we think that's right. And so it's, so I think there is some value of recognizing being white as like, oh, this is our culture. And, and there's certain, there's certain baggage that goes with that, right? Just like there are certain things that like black people have to deal with because they're black and, and you know, every race, right. Has their things that they have to deal with because of, you know, their race. Well, white people do too. And, and we need to recognize that so we can see it and do something with that and manage it. Right. And I think a large part of not only is the thinking, we don't have a, a heritage or a race or an ethnicity because, because, Part of American culture is seeing white as the default, right? Mm-hmm. That's an evidence of the privilege, right? Right. When we only use uh, adjectives to describe people who aren't white, right? As like, if, oh, well, we don't have to say anything if they're not. white, you know? Like, <laughs> so if you're if you're all, if you're saying white guy, black guy, Hispanic guy, okay, fine. But if you only say black guy, Asian guy, Hispanic, and you don't ever say white guy. Right. This is these are some of the right. small places where we can start paying attention to where our privilege and ideas of supremacy come in because we think we don't need to be named. But I think it's also on the other side of that part of the reason that we end up um, uh, acculturating things. Right. Like we'll take other because we don't think we have some kind of culture or heritage. Oh, we try to we absorb take other people's, other people's culture. culture and heritage. Right. So when, if we recognize that we have our own, hmm. then we wouldn't feel the need to acculturate other people's cultural symbols and signifiers. Hmm. Right. So I think that's another part of it is, is looking down and seeing where that is coming from because there is this like, Oh, I want a heritage. Right. <laughs> right like, yeah. And, and, so, and I, cause I think it's very, very human. Right. And so it's one of the things that like in sacred art study, for example, um, really, really important to be grounded, right? And one of the ways that you anchor and ground is to is to recognize, like, on the sort of timeline, um, the connection to the ancestors and those that have gone before, right? So whether that's blood ancestors or spiritual or emotional or intellectual ancestors, those people that you really identify with and right. So those are the ones that have gone before. And then there are the ones who come after. So again, whether or not you have blood children, you're still paving the way for those that are going to follow you. Right. Right. Um, and, and like, if we don't have a sense this is very anchoring and grounding. And mm-hmm. if we don't have a sense of our space... Because that's like, this is where we are in the scheme of things. Yeah. Right. It, it, it gives us a sense of purpose and mm-hmm. meaning and direction. Right. Right? Because you're honoring the work of those that have come behind you. So right. in those times where things are really, really tough and you're like, oh my God, I don't know if I can do this. If you have studied those that came before, 
there's this like, okay, they worked too hard. So many of them died so that we could have this moment right now. I am not going to just lay this down. All their work can't be for naught. Right. Right. And by the same, um, by the same token, like, no, I am not handing the planet over to my children in the state. Mm -hmm. I'm not handing it to the next generation in the state. Right. So like a lot of indigenous communities have this idea of like seven generations that any decision you make needs to be with seven generations in mind. Mm. Right. That's the same kind of, that's, that's one of those sort of policies or practices that lets you see the importance of holding that tie and maintaining a view to those that have come before and those that will come after, right? Mm-hmm. So um, so if we don't have a tie to that, then we do feel really ungrounded. And it, it is very human, and we really need it. Yeah. Um, and it but, gives you that sense of identity, too, and belonging. and Totally. And, which is also very important um, yeah. for humans to have Yeah, absolutely. Well. Yeah. And so I, I feel like because... Um, and this is one of those places where white supremacy ideas end up sort of like devouring themselves, right? Because because we assume we're the default, mm-hmm. right? Then we don't have a sense of heritage, right? And then there's this like, Which well, is destructive and you yeah. know, I'm valuable too, right? Like. Um, mm. But if we, it's like, well, of course you are. All yeah. humans are, right? Yeah. But if we can see, like, okay, here's here's uh, here's where we came from and the things right. they did in whatever part of Europe we yeah. came from, right? And I think that's too where Trump has found has resonated with his base is it's it's people who feel like they're losing their culture that they're not connected to the culture anymore that you know America isn't. You know, it's not their America anymore and that kind of thing. Like, it's been taken over by these other people. And it's like, you know, that feeling of sort of being ungrounded. And 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 then, you know, here comes Trump and is like, hey, no, I'm for, you know, you and your kind of people. And, and I'm going to defend, you know, this sort of way of life or way of doing things. And, and so it's, you know, providing some of that sense of, stability and identity that people white people are really kind of desperate for well and, and i think i think it's can, unfortunate that right, it's and of course he's in that way in conversation right? in this really horrible place that is not going to fix that at all actually right. because he's so we need the next so we need to come into provide, all the shame for that right but, yeah but it's it's what's really interesting is like if we can find a way to really focus on the identity mm-hmm. and as someone that has you know on my mother's side of the family um, three branches where children dropped off on doorsteps. So my family tree is totally truncated, mm-hmm. right? Um, and so trying to find those connections of like, okay, where did we come from, mm-hmm. right, has been something that I've been doing a lot of work on for the past couple of years to really try to get a sense of that. And I, through meditation and active imaginations or like sh- shamanic journeying, it's another way of saying shamanic journey, um, through meditation and active imaginations, I've been able to get in touch with some of those ancestors and get more of a sense of that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and visiting in England last year clearly was on some places where my people had come from because the land was speaking so loudly to me. Hmm. Um, and so, um, but, I, but I think getting, getting to a place where we're really looking at identity and sense of place and heritage and people versus 
control. Right. Yeah, because the problem with sort of Trump's sort of white identity movement is it's like, it's like we are, it's like white people are the people who are like holding back the barbarians, right? Oh these All these other people, other races, other cultures. And, and so it's like defining whiteness and white culture in opposition to, yeah. you know, minorities to, and exactly. colored people and whatever. It's opposed to its own thing. Right, exactly. As opposed to saying, like, here's who we are. We're proud of our heritage. We're proud of who we are and where we've come from in our history. And, and there is a lot of very rich history for, you know, whites and European descent and that kind of thing. Like, I know because that's mostly all I learned about in history right, exactly. class, right? I didn't learn about the rest of the world. I just learned about... Tone, it's time for us to learn some right. of the dark side of that history because right. that's and, the stuff we don't want to look at. Well, and so, so it's like, right, exactly. So it's like we can learn about this stuff and say, okay, this is our culture and here it is in our history and but that doesn't mean that it has to take away from anyone else's or that right. has to be in opposition or to the it. idea that inviting <clears throat> other people to the table like cuz it really will like, take what, away from our culture right. right. cuz what i'm hearing is we don't i mean the guys marching in charlottesville were saying we won't be replaced by jews that was one of the marches one of the right. slogans they were saying so it's like uh it, it's this sort of idea that if anybody else is at the table they're trying to take we're over. being replaced right like yeah. no <laughs> yeah like this is really so we need to really let go of like really is is egoic control and total domination what defines whiteness because yeah. if that is what defines whiteness well then we are all racist and supremacist and it's a problem right so we need to make something else needs to define whiteness other than that and right. so exactly. that's what and that seems to be the only time that it comes to the surface right it's looking at that and i think um finding ways to really get grounded in the identity like you know um the new louis ck uh routine is <laughs> hilarious and all these things we totally take for granted right and one of the things he says in the routine is like yeah, you know, you should, like, congratulate Christians. They won, you know? And he's like, what year is it? And they're like, 2017. He was like, yeah, from what calendar? <laughs> right, yeah. You know, there's a lot of different calendars in the world. Right. But what is the one that everybody in the world knows? The right. Christian calendar. Yeah. Right? So, like, so th- these kinds of things that we're like, yeah, we don't have anything anymore. Are, are you kidding? Yeah. Like there's all this stuff that's where we take so for granted yeah. because it's set on our frame right. that we think like, Oh, well that's just the calendar. No, yeah. it's a calendar. And like English too, being sort of the, the language of the world that's, you know, used for, uh, like I was watching something, it was a show with like, it was a Chinese show and they, um, the character like went to Korea. And so like, and so, like, when the Korean person and the Chinese person need to communicate and they didn't speak each other's language, they used English. Yeah. Which I thought was really interesting. I was like, wow, okay. Yeah. <laughs> and and so, yeah, in so much of our, our culture and, and, you know, businesses, and there's so much of, you know, America that has spread and um, throughout the world, and um, and it's... I think it's valuable to also then um, have things go the other way, right? That if we can stand confidently in our own culture, then we have solid ground upon which to appreciate 
all these other cultures. Right. As and, opposed to feeling threatened by them. Right. So exactly. it's this sort of, and this is something that I saw in Holland all the time, um, because they're, uh, and you know, it was bad when I left how many years ago, 2005. Um, so it's gotten, I mean, Geert Wilders almost, he was running for the presidency, right? So, uh, or his party, they were, you know, it and looks are like they, they like a white nationalist? Yeah, like, basically okay. Leif Barnett along. So, um, <laughs> Uh, but it was the same kind of thing, right? Like, and the things that we think of as Dutch culture all come from somewhere else mm. because they're traitors, right? right? They were yeah. traitors. And so like the first multinational corporation was a Dutch corporate, the East India company is a Dutch corporation, right? Yeah. Um, capitalism itself is a Dutch invention. Huh. Um, so like they were big traders. So tulips are from Turkey and windmills were from Spain and right. Like all the, yeah. the, the Delphs blau, the blue China from that's from China, like, <laughs> you know? So, so everything that we think of as being from Dutch culture is from somewhere else. So they've made a culture like new Orleans. Their culture is this multiculturalism. Like right. that is their culture. It's a, yeah. it's a Delta it's a Delta place. Yeah. Right. Yeah. The Rhine, that's the Rhine Delta dumps out in Holland. So, um, and, and the same thing with new Orleans, that's the Mississippi Delta. So it's just like the river brings all this different kinds of sediment down to the Delta. Mm-hmm. Then the cultures around Delta places also tend to be mixtures. Right. Mm-hmm. So that, that itself is the culture. Um, but they, you know, so there's this, there was this, and I've seen these posts for America too, cause it's equally applicable. Um, but it's like, you know, you're, as you sit with your eating pizza with, <laughs> you know, your, your, your Greek numerals and your, you know what I mean? Like right. all these kind of like listing <laughs> all these things that we use every single day coming from they another from country. Yeah. Um, and meanwhile, while I was there, the Dutch, um, switched their official language of the universities to English. Really? So now you have your learned class not even using the home language wow. at university. Um, and of course the reason they did it is because it is the lingua franca. If you publish in English, then more people read your papers. It's a way for Dutch researchers names to get out there. And it appears to be working because I'm seeing Dutch papers in a lot of different realms. Right. Oh. Um, so, but having the language of instruction and having a language of writing anyway. So, <laughs> but they're doing all these things where they're giving their culture away. There are far more American movies in the cinemas than there were Dutch movies, far more American shows on television that are watched much more than the Dutch shows. So they themselves were giving their culture away, right? Mm-hmm. But then they turned to the immigrants and said, you're taking our culture. You're right. invading our culture. We're, it's not, we don't even know what Holland is anymore. <laughs> and, and, and I feel like uh, American white folk need to look at the same kind of thing, right? Like, mm-hmm. like how, how... It's like we embrace rap music and... And uh, jazz and, you know, all these uh, various different things that, um, you know, come out of other cultures and then, and they get mad and at free, them. And you're like, you're mad. taking over. It's like, right. well, but you like that stuff because it's right. cool. Right. This is what makes you <laughs> what you are, is that you have that there, right? right? So, and I think there is something about, um, you know, like looking at America like a salad versus a the melting, melting pot. Right. So that the different pieces maintain their own flavor, but together right. it has its own thing. Yeah. Um, so, you know, there's definitely has to be some research into, um, into what is 
someone's individual culture and finding out a little bit about who is in your family and finding about those kind of things. And I have talked to people that have said, okay, yeah, well, my family is Irish, but that feels inauthentic to me, right? People feel really disconnected from it. Because um, you don't necessarily practice any of the Irish traditions right. or and speak I think the language too, like, and that sort of thing. Yeah. I think, right. too, even on Outlander, they don't translate it. What's that about? Anyway, so, <laughs> <laughs> like, why aren't they translating the Gaelic? Um, but, like, yeah, like, and if and I, and I realize not everybody has the money to get back to the places where their people came from, right? So mm-hmm. that they can be on the land and get a sense of that. Um, and understand why our ancestors left. I often joke that, you know, I stayed in Holland long enough to understand why my people had to leave. You know, like I get it, you know, sometimes you just can't be in a place anymore. So, um, but I think doing those kinds of investigations so that we do have a sense of that and recognize that part of what makes us American then is all these different pieces of the salad that are coming in to make these new flavors, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so that we value that and not feel threatened, threatened by it, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, so there is a lot, but there's, there in doing this work, there is, it, it's difficult work. There's a yeah. lot of stuff that has to be faced. There's very difficult history that we have to face because the difficult history was not in our textbooks in right. high school, by any stretch of the imagination. And I'm really glad that um, I went to White Station High School in Memphis, Tennessee, and I had Miss Brown as my, uh, as my American history teacher. And she was really fantastic about letting us know where the holes were. Mm. Right? Because it's really easy to think that we're being told the whole story. Right. And it, and we're not. Right? Even if we say, oh, both sides. No, there's multiple sides. Right. Like, even if there's something that only you and I are in the room, we're both going to have multiple reactions to what happened. Right. There's a thing we did in the moment. There's a thing we held back in the moment. There's the feelings we have afterwards. There's the, you know? Mm-hmm. Like... So, and if there's other people that are witnessing it, then there's that many more perspectives and all of them have their own internal thing that's happening. And everybody's getting triggered in their own way. Totally. So there's so like this whole idea that like, well, we were fair and did both sides. Like, (laughs) sweetheart, even pieces of paper have three sides. Oh, right. And we're human beings. Like how many sides do we have? Actually, I think they have six sides. Well, I mean, as far as... <laughs> right, yeah. Right? Three-dimensional. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, and we're human beings, so how many more do we have, right? right. So, um, and, and I think, like, recognizing that just out of time, there's not enough time for them to tell us everything. Right. And we accept that, well, we heard that story. Well, you heard one of the stories, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And my my teacher in school, I'm so grateful to her had this great great way of showing us there was a gap, right? And she's a public school teacher, and... So she know, has to be careful. She's not to be very careful. <laughs> and this is Memphis, Tennessee, so, yeah. you know. And so, like, she would tell the story in a way that you're like, wait, there's a huge piece missing here. And, mm-hmm. you know, leave it to me. My hand's the one that goes up. Miss Brown, what about blah, 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 blah? Because you said this, but then this has happened. And she's she would just look over her glasses and go... <laughs> Your textbook does not say anything about that. <laughs> and that was my <laughs> signal to go to the library and do some more reading. Right. right? She was awesome. It's I think like, she, if you want to know, I know you're right? going to have to go find yourself because I'm, I'm not, not going telling to- you. 
I'm not going in that. That's awesome. You know, so um, <laughs> it was beautiful. So it let all of us know, right? And right. so before I even went, and a lot of people find those things all out in college, right? right. Um, but before even getting to college, right, I had this great teacher that let us know, your textbook does not mention anything about that, right? Mm-hmm. So, so there's a lot of that history, and it's difficult to get through. There's a lot of really, it's just mm-hmm. like, you know, if you're coming from Judeo-Christian background, like read the whole Bible. It's hard <laughs> to get yeah. through. There's some really difficult, repugnant texts that I've been mucking through all summer and I've mucked through them before. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but this <laughs> summer has been really hard. Um, so it's, it, it's really difficult to get to, but we, but we must, Right. right. And, and I think like we talked about in the first segment, it's, it is really hard. Allow yourself those emotions, find people to talk about it with. Mm-hmm. Right. And then let it move through, you know, um, because I think we, we have to face that. But once we do and we recognize like, yeah, because I, I think so much of the problem that we're having is because people don't feel heard. Right. Yes. And so if we're doing our research on our horrible history, there's actually a whole book called Horrible Histories. They're oh, like wow. young adult, like graphic novels. It's a oh, British series. I think that my son has one of They're them. They're fabulous. They're so oh. cool. But, um, but if we're looking at our own horrible history, right, um, once we see what we've done, we're like, dude, yeah, we're, we're no angels. Yeah. Right? I think just that recognition Becomes but then neither is anyone else, too. Exactly. Because every culture and every ethnicity Everybody has their it. horrible histories as well yeah. as their their beautiful things about exactly. the culture. Exactly, because that's what humans are. Yeah. yeah. Right? Like, we, we have these places where we have failed miserably, yeah. and we have other places where we have shine, shown beautifully, yeah. right? Like, I remember, because, you know, I kind of grew up f- feeling bad for the Native Americans, you know, all oh, those, you know, poor people, you know, the white people were so mean to them, you know, killing them and taking their land in there. And then I rem- and then I learned about the story where, like, the Indian tribes used to raid each other and, you know, pillage and rape and, and so, I mean, certain ones, right? Not all of them. But I, it just kind of threw me off. I was like, wait, what? Like, they did that too? I thought they were just the poor victims over here, you know, and the white people were the bad guys. And so, you know, it's just one of those things where there's, well, and there's it, yeah, always that like kind of stuff in every culture. That's not our place to, like, but we still have to... Like acknowledge and atone for what we did. Do you right. know what I'm well, saying? no, I'm like, not saying the, it makes any kind no, but, of excuse. So, I'm no, saying it like it is one of those things that people say. Well, you know, we don't have to atone for anything because they did it too. No, yeah, oh, I see how some yeah, people could take a it lot, that way. A yeah. lot of people use it that way. Same uh-huh. thing with like, well, when are we going to talk about black? On, we're not going to talk about cops killing black people because what about black on black crime? Like, right? Like, yeah. Okay, well, then let them atone for that. Right. That's their business. But well, this is our business. Do you see what I'm saying? Like, yeah. And so I, that's the, I'm not even sure. It's for me. It's not even really about atoning. It's it's recognizing that there's there's beautiful things and horrible things that humans have done of all types right. throughout history. Well, and are doing. And like Standing Rock is a beautiful example of how that history has not stopped. Right? Like we're still taking over land mm. and poisoning the water. Right? Right. Um, Mount Rushmore was drilled into sacred ground. Oh, that I was a holy that. place and we carved mm-hmm. white men's faces into it. Yeah. Yeah. So it was, you know, so like, yeah. so it's not, if it had stopped, 
it would maybe be one thing. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But but it hasn't even stopped. So and the fact that we're we're not wanting to look at where it even started. Do you know what I mean? Means we're less inclined to see just how difficult, dangerous, upsetting, demoralizing, insulting what we're still doing is. Right? Mm. Because we're not seeing it in that context. But they certainly are because right. it's their history. They right. see the context. And so it's like, man, I can't even work through what happened to my grandmama without you coming up in my face. Like, you mm. know what I'm saying? Like, so it, it's until we, until we acknowledge that, mm-hmm. then our, our danger of continuing to perpetuate it, like, is that much more. Do you mm-hmm. know what I'm saying? Right. And we don't see the content. And then someone gets upset and we're like, dude, why are you reacting like that? Well, if we knew the context, we would understand totally why they were reacting that right. way. Right. Right. So, so in that, again, those sort of ideas of triggering, like, uh, the triggering isn't necessarily just personal because it is this like bigger thing. Um, but then let us, let us not, shut ourselves down and say that there's nothing in what they said that, that we can learn from or benefit. Does that make right. sense? Right. Um, and in the same kind of vein, when we get triggered to go and be like, Whoa, why did I, why did I react that way? And like, what needed to come out? What do I need to do some working with? Like, okay, well this mm-hmm. is because the place where they walked over that triggered us is a place for us to dig. Right. Right. And see like, Okay, where is this coming from? What do I still need to process? What do I need to happen? What's my responsibility? What's happening on a social level? Um, like asking lots of questions, um, asking lots of questions to kind of find out like where all that happens and not, not. So, yeah. So I, I feel like it's like, if it's something where you're being triggered, then instead of feeling bad about it or shameful or scared you can get curious and go hmm i wonder what's there and then start looking and if it's something where you know you inadvertently trigger someone else then you can choose to not take it personally and yet still learn from it too right and examine you know where are they coming from and and what do they need to express and how can i learn from that like the history of you know what you know, people from other cultures are going through or have experienced and that sort of thing. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And I think like not taking it personally can, can pull us enough back from the shame to be able to investigate what's going on. Right. Right. But, but I would invite people to not say not taking it personally means it has absolutely nothing to do with you. It doesn't mean you are ignoring it. Right. And it doesn't mean that that there's nothing you can do with it. Mm. Right. Right. Um, and, uh, but if it's, if we're taking it personally, then we seize an attack and then we defend ourselves and then we close ourselves down and then we just say they're crazy and they have problems. You know, something like that happened to me. Okay. So I, (laughs) I accidentally triggered somebody yesterday, uh, (laughs) when I was, I was talking about how, um, you know, I decided to start, you know, looking for a partner and, and, um, and my thing with dating was I'm like, but I, I, you know, I don't want to do all these dates cause I usually know you know, pretty soon after meeting someone, if there's a connection there or not. Um, and so, so I've been doing speed dating and, and I mentioned how there was this one guy, I was like, he's a really nice guy and he's cool and everything, but, um, you know, but I'm not feeling a connection. And so I decided 
not to continue the relationship because I, I felt like I would be doing it just to be nice to him, just to mm. sort of be like, I think you're a nice person, you know? But then I'm like, but if I'm not serious about the re- developing the relationship, then that's not really being honest, right? So that's what I communicated. This was while we were, like, eating at lunch. And the guy who was sitting next to me was like, um, you know, you shouldn't discount the nice guys, you know, and, and he was telling his story about how, you know, he was always a nice guy. And when his wife first met him, she didn't really, you know, he didn't stand out to her or whatever right away. And, um, and, and then telling the stories about all these people, he, women he used to work with who, um, would go, would go out with these bad boys. Now he's like, oh, women are so attracted to these bad boys. And then they wonder why they screw them over. And, and, and so I was just kind of sitting there taking this in and going, am I wrong? You know, am I not being fair to this guy? And then after a while I was like, okay, I think that's like his baggage. And like, you know, and I was like, okay, I, and, and actually I totally get where he's coming from because I identify with that the person who doesn't stand out, you know, who's just sort of under the radar, like, oh, she's nice. She's a nice person. Yeah, she's so reliable. Right. But I'm not like a big flashy, you know, person you know when she enters the room kind of thing, right? I'm very like kind of low key. Don't have purple so, streaks in your hair or anything. Right, exactly. Yeah, exactly. And so uh, so I understand that kind of like sort of resentment and envy of like those people who stand out and, and that, you know, anger at being overlooked. Right. Mm-hmm. So like, um, so I did get something out of that. I'm like, yeah, you know, I really kind of like, I get where he's coming from and, and I can, I see that in myself, you know? Um, but then, but then I was like, but the reason that I'm choosing this approach where I'm, the thing I've committed to is listening to my instincts when I meet people and, and, and really listening to my intuition, what is my intuition telling me about this person? And do I want to continue a relationship with them? Cause I'm the kind of person I like to have a few selective relationships, right? I don't need to have like a million. I prefer to have just a few close relationships, right? So I'm like, and the thing I didn't do when I got married to my now ex-husband is I didn't listen to my instincts mm. when he proposed. And I was like, I don't know if this is a good idea. And I talked myself into it. I taught myself into being more reasonable and not having Mm. such outrageous expectations. And, you know, so, so, so my history is that I didn't listen to my intuition and now I'm in the practice of trusting my intuition. So, so I, after thinking this all through, I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm going to stick with my strategy. Like I see what that other guy is saying and, and I can relate to that. Um, and yet I understand why I'm doing things this way, you know? And so, so that was really helpful because it, it both affirmed, you know, the path I was on, but also gave me this greater perspective. Of- no, totally. And it's interesting because that conversation could have easily triggered you uh-huh. as well. I know. I did get I, defensive in the moment. Okay. I did Because I would have been triggered by the conversation to begin with. And going, like, well, but. Listen, but, but. buddy. <laughs> so, <laughs> and, you know, like that being said, like some of the work that I do is working with women that continually find themselves attracted to narcissists and like mm-hmm. trying to pull that away. Right. Um, uh, and, and 
And and again, my own story of thinking like, well, people are either attracted to you or they're not. Right. There is no place in the middle. Mm. And and then giving myself on this head, like before I met Jason, right? Like getting myself on this head trip of, yeah, well, I'm like this old, fat, loud person that no guy is going to love, right? Like all mm. these voices from right, right. no man's going to be with a woman that blah, 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 all the right. stuff I got raised with. <laughs> um, and, um, and recognizing that, you know what? Actually, the people that I have fallen the most in love with were people that I didn't notice in the beginning, mm. right? And as I got to know them... I fell so deep and hard, right? Mm. So, um, so it's like, well, if I've done that, then surely other people can do that with me, right? right. That's a possibility. Right. So, so I realized I was in a fixed mindset about my love life, right? right. And moved into the sort of growth mindset of, well, it could happen gradually. That's fine, you know. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I would have been totally triggered with like, okay, like let's not do the whole girls don't like nice guys stuff, right? Like right. the nice guy that does all this like. <laughs> <laughs> bullying, scary, sexual harassment crap in the name of being a nice guy. Like okay. that would, yeah. That, Cause yeah. that can totally trigger lots of people. But, um, but finding like that sort of if like, girls okay. don't like nice guys. How come it's hard to find them? <laughs> They're already married. <laughs> well, and this yeah. is one of the things I do with my clients is like, rec- just recognize there are good guys out there. Yeah. Right. Cause I think a lot of women have this like, yeah, all guys are jerks and all the good ones are taken, yeah. and, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, or if they're divorced, there must be something wrong with them. And then I go, wait a minute, I'm divorced. So right, uh, totally. does that a lot so apply I think to me? My clients, one of their homeworks <laughs> is I want you to see good guys. I want you to look for good guys. Yeah. Right. It doesn't matter if they're available. It doesn't matter if you're, if they're your type, what doesn't matter. I want you to see the good men around you. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so, uh, yeah, and, and so that's sort of like step one and being able to realize that, oh, there are lots of them out there, right? Um, but if, you know, if you're around a guy that's talking about how all women are like gold digger bitches, you're going to walk away from him. I'm mm-hmm. not dating someone that talks like that, right? Yeah. So why would a guy date a girl that talks talks about how guys are all jerks? Like, right. yeah, no. <laughs> you know, there, there are also people that have reasoning minds and decide they're not going to be around stuff that's toxic. So. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So, so the the con, uh, conclusion, I guess, of today's podcast is <laughs> life is complicated. Uh, <laughs> but it is this sort of like it is. I mean, systems of inquiry, basically, is right. what we're talking about, right? Like taking a moment to ask some questions, to be willing to sit with the emotions that come up, whether it's someone else's emotions or our own. And I feel like the more we've done shadow work ourselves, mm-hmm. the, the, the easier, quote unquote, those triggering conversations are. Right. Right. Because then we recognize like, oh, okay, well, I got triggered because there's this emotion I didn't want to deal with. Mm-hmm. And we recognize that that allowing the emotion and, and creating space for that and just sitting with it, right? Like, yeah. it really is like the the, the movie Inside Out, right? Uh, where sadness sits down with the clown and Joy has been trying so hard to like squash sadness, right? Uh-huh. Um, it's that kind of sadness. thing. Like, it just let it be, yeah. you know? Um, so I guess it all really does boil down to not being afraid of emotions, totally. either within ourselves or, other or, or others. Right. Because if we've done that work ourselves, then then we recognize where that comes from. Then it, we're, once we learn how to sit with our own emotions, it's easier to sit with someone else's emotions. Right. Right? So when they get triggered and all these emotions come out, well, then your response, rather than defense... 
can be, oh God, that's really painful. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, I hear you. That's that's hard. And then you can have a conversation, even with someone that's just been really triggered, right? Mm-hmm. Um, if they are willing to talk about the emotions and you're not, it's not happening in this like, you know, oh, I can see that you're really upset right now. <laughs> <laughs> like kind of like, shaming them for yeah totally like oh well i see you're very emotional so i'm just gonna <laughs> let you have that and i'm gonna go over here like you know so i mean obviously but if you're if you're not shaming yourself for your emotions then you can hold that space for other people do you know what i mean yeah. um and it it's still uncomfortable and it's still itchy and it's still difficult and it's still complicated in many ways but, but at the same time it's also very simple it really yeah. is just about being present to your emotions being present to someone else's emotions and being curious about yeah what the truth is so glad that you could join us today and we are here to start a conversation not be the conversation so we would love to have you join us uh, around the digital campfire Uh, you can come to the facebook page find kitchen table alchemy the group um, and that's a great place to connect with other people uh, talk about what we've been talking about also to find out where our next pop-up podcast is going to be and pinterest find us on pinterest so that article that you were looking for that you've scrolled through and you can't find it it's probably on the pinterest board so uh go find the kitchen table alchemy group over on pinterest and for the latest episodes you can go to our website kitchentablealchemy.com or you can subscribe through itunes and that way it's downloaded automatically you don't have to remember anything that's that's what i like (laughs) (laughs) so yeah so we've loved having you y'all come back now you're here (laughs) 